2: Hello you spectacular people. Welcome to this 372nd episode of the History Ghost Bump podcast. Ghost Tours for the Theater of the Mind. I'm your host Diane and this is Kelly. Kelly on this episode, we're going to be featuring two locations that you and I visited in person back in December in New Orleans.
3: Yay! It was so much
2: fun. Yes it was. This is the Andrew Jackson Hotel and Napoleon House. And it was your first time in New Orleans. It certainly was. And it was a quick trip, but we actually saw quite a bit. We did. We weren't even in the city for 24 hours, but we crammed a lot in. We certainly did. So we're basically sharing those two locations. We're going to be sharing some other things that happened that evening. So it's like one night in New Orleans instead of (laughs) singing one night in Bangkok. But before we get into sharing the history and haunts of those locations, we want to welcome into the Spooktacular Crew Victor, Megan, Hannah, Rhonda with no H, Lyle, David, Christina with a CH, Trish, Bonnie, Jessica, Samantha, Kim, John, Sandy, and Joseph. Welcome to the crew, you guys. And now, this moment, Naughtity.
3: The moment in oddity was suggested by Scott Booker. On this episode, we are featuring a location named in honor of Andrew Jackson. Most people know he was a great general and was a former president of the United States, but do they know that he owned a parrot? A parrot with a very foul mouth. This was an African gray that originally belonged to his wife, Rachel, but when she passed away, the bird became Jackson's responsibility. The parrot's name was Pole, and while no one knows for sure where he learned his colorful vocabulary, Most people are sure it came from Jackson, who was pretty cantankerous. When Jackson died, Pohl was allowed to attend the funeral and this decision soon proved to be a mistake. Reverend William Menifee Normant described what happened. Before the sermon and while the crowd was gathering, a wicked parrot that was a household pet got excited and commenced swearing so loud and long as to disturb the people and had to be carried from the house. It was excited by the multitude and let loose perfect gusts of cuss words. People were horrified and awed at the bird's lack of reverence. Many presidents have had pet birds, but Jackson's was the only one to swear. And that certainly is odd.
0: Grab your slippers, hot chocolate, flashlight, and maybe even that baseball bat.
3: And now, this month in history...
2: In the month of February on the 5th in 1953, the rationing of sweets comes to an end in Britain. Oh, what a sweet, sweet day. I'm a total sugaraholic. How tragic it would have been to live at a time when chocolate and sweets were rationed. This rationing lasted for 10 achingly long years. Sugar was in short supply. Each person was only allowed 12 ounces of sweets a month, Once the rationing ended, long queues formed at confectioner shops as people enjoyed being able to purchase boxes of chocolates again. Many other items had been rationed during World War II. Meat was still being rationed as sugar was taken off that list and wouldn't be removed until July of 1954. A fun fact about rationing. In 1939, researchers at Cambridge University tested how much rationing an adult could endure, and they found that adults could survive on amounts of food much smaller than the rations. The test subjects did well, but the increased level of fiber and starch in the diet led to quote unquote remarkable levels of flatulence.
3: We had just one night in New Orleans on a recent road trip, and we made the most of it since it was my first time here. We booked a room at the Andrew Jackson Hotel, had dinner at the Napoleon House one of America's most famous bars, and took in a couple of the local creepy stores before heading on a ghost tour with Haunted History Tours. Join us as we share the history and haunts of the Andrew Jackson Hotel and Napoleon House.
2: Listeners already know, Kelly, New Orleans is the destination for paranormal enthusiasts, particularly those who love history. Louisiana was clearly hard hit by two monsters of 2020, hurricanes and COVID-19. Kelly, you remember as we were coming into Louisiana, we hit Lake Charles pretty early on, and very few of those homes were without blue tarp over the roofs.
3: Yeah, it was pretty devastating to look at.
2: This city on the Gulf was hit by two major hurricanes in 2020, Laura and Delta. Trees were shells of themselves, damage was still evident everywhere, and this was December, so it had been a few months and still doing a lot of the cleanup. We continued our trek east as we headed for New Orleans. We drove the bridge across Lake Pontchartrain as we neared the historic city. And Kelly, you got an overhead glimpse of one of the many cemeteries found in the city. I sure did. Not sure exactly which one it was, but it was right off to the right side of the road. And I went, Kelly, quick, quick, look that way. That's what a cemetery (laughs) in New Orleans looks like. It was very cool. The city is home to some of the coolest looking cemeteries. Yeah, everything has mausoleums, above the ground crypts. They're just very cool looking. We arrived at the French Quarter around four o'clock in the afternoon and lucked out in finding a parking spot right near the Andrew Jackson Hotel. I could not believe
3: our luck. That was just a perfect parking place.
2: No, because I just kept thinking, I don't know where we're going to park because there's not a lot of parking in the French Quarter. We're going to have to make a trek quite a ways to take stuff with us. And gonna have to hoof it. (laughs) Yeah. And then all of a sudden I was like, oh, my gosh, is
3: that a spot like right there outside of it? The charming Andrew Jackson Hotel fits perfectly in the French Quarter with its iconic wrought iron on the upper balcony. This hotel is two stories with an exterior that is yellow with blue shutters and fronted with flags. The hotel is longer than it is wider. There are rooms both inside the main hotel and then outside along a courtyard that has a fountain, wrought iron tables and chairs and a cannon. Our room was on the far end of the first floor of the courtyard, which was just a bit magical because it was raining. The place is clearly old and in some need of updating, but we weren't here for comfort. We were here for ghosts which was a good thing because hot showers in the morning were elusive.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I'm glad you had to go first. Then I at least was prepared for no hot water.
3: Oh, Lord, it was quite chilly. (laughs) The main lobby has an old world theme with antique furniture, and this carried over into our room with the 18th century furniture and original wood floors. The real highlight of the hotel is that it's in the heart of the French Quarter, so in close walking distance to everywhere. People
2: would be like, would you recommend this to people? You just have to keep in mind especially if you're going to a haunted location that's old and historic it's probably going to need a little bit of updating but you walk outside of that hotel and it's a block to this a block to that right you're right in the middle of everything yeah so it's a great location
3: and I'm sure that there was something going on with our shower I seriously doubt that every single room has no hot water <laughs> yeah i'm sure
2: it, it seemed like our mechanism didn't turn as far as it was supposed to
3: exactly and the sink got hot water so yeah i think it was just ours in particular yeah so the
2: hotel had hot water it just wasn't coming out of the showerhead <laughs>
3: <laughs> the site where the
2: andrew jackson hotel sits has a long history as is the case for the entire french quarter the first known building to stand here was used as a boy's orphanage The Spanish colonial government that was in control of New Orleans in 1792 was faced with a growing problem as yellow fever ravaged the city. Many children were losing their parents to the disease. Orphanages that also served as boarding schools was their answer. Things went well here until the fire of 1794 swept through and badly damaged the building. Stories claim that five boys lost their lives inside. Tracking down the truth on this story is difficult. Some tales claim the building was burned to the ground, while others say that it was one of the few buildings to survive the fire. Whatever the case may be, the energy of the boys who lived here at one time still carries on
3: through the centuries. We'll discuss that in a moment. A U.S. federal courthouse replaced the orphanage after the fire. Again, we are not sure if the building was just repurposed or rebuilt, but it looked nothing like the traditional courthouse one would expect to see in a large city. And
2: I have some old pictures of the courthouse that we'll put up on Instagram.
3: The courthouse would be here until just before the turn of the 20th century. It would have one very famous case that would involve General Andrew Jackson. He was held in contempt of court and charged with obstruction of justice in 1815. Jackson had come to New Orleans in December of 1814 to help defend the city against a British invasion. He declared martial law against the British. No one was allowed to enter the city and no one was allowed to leave. Shortly thereafter, the Battle of New Orleans was fought, even though the War of 1812 had already come to an end. Word had not made it to New Orleans. After the battle, Jackson still refused to lift the order, and a senator, Louis Louis Allaire, publicly called on Jackson to stop the order. Jackson's response was to have the senator arrested. When United States District Judge Dominic Hall ordered the senator released, Jackson had the judge arrested. As we said in the moment in
2: oddity, he could be a little cantankerous. Just slightly, Jackson eventually lifted the martial law. When the judge was back in court, he charged Jackson with contempt of court and fined him $1,000. Jackson showed up out of uniform and looking rather shabby, demanded a trial by jury that was refused, and eventually paid the fine. Many of the people of the city had offered to help Jackson pay the fine because he was a war hero, but he asked them to give the money to the widows and orphans who had suffered losses during the Battle of New Orleans instead. Congress would order in 1844 that the money Jackson paid for the fine be repaid to him. This was repaid with interest and Jackson received $2,700. The federal courthouse was demolished in the early 1900s and the building that would become the Andrew Jackson Hotel was built. It was added to the Register of Historic Places in 1965. The
3: Andrew Jackson Hotel is said to be one of the most haunted hotels in the city. There are several ghosts here reputedly. Obviously, with several boys losing their lives in the fire, there are claims of seeing young male ghosts and hearing the laughter of boys and sometimes even some screaming. It should be pointed out that this is mainly an adult hotel, so children are rarely staying at the hotel. One ghost that is seen most often has been nicknamed Armand. He is a prankster who likes to wake up guests by either trying to push them out of bed or laughing loudly near their head. They sometimes feel a cold touch on their skin. No one is sure how Armand died, but it wasn't in the fire. Some believe he was thrown from the balcony. Others claim he jumped himself. He appears most often in the most haunted room in the hotel, number 208. Which,
2: Kelly, interestingly enough, we were in 108, weren't we? So I believe that would be the room above us.
3: Yes, we were. Hmm.
2: The former caretaker of the orphanage is seen fluffing pillows and cleaning. Sometimes furniture is rearranged. This was a female housekeeper, according to various accounts. Televisions and lights turn on and off by themselves. Disembodied footsteps are heard. And there are some who claim that even the hotel's namesake, Andrew Jackson, has been seen roaming the halls. As for us, we had very little interaction. We left a recorder going all night. And when we listened back, Kelly, basically all we did was pick up the occasional clicking on and off of the air and the toilet flushing. Great. (laughs) (laughs) So I guess either one of those could be considered quite creepy, but...
3: Haunted toilet? Yeah. That is creepy.
2: (laughs) (laughs) And we were females. It could have been a female bathroom. You know, those are always haunted. We did do a brief dowsing rod session, and we didn't really get a whole lot of responses to that. We think we were talking to a woman, and we wonder if possibly she was the housekeeper or caretaker from years ago. I don't really remember a whole lot about that dowsing session. You don't? Um, let's just say <laughs> that we did that after our entire evening of indulging the food and drink of New Orleans. Indeed we did.
3: <laughs> and- Probably wasn't the best position to be in to yeah. try to do a dousing Yeah. We went against better judgment, shall yeah. we say. Yeah. So
2: we weren't really doing a real great investigation after all that. Needless to say, though, I didn't get any feelings that the hotel was haunted in any way. Did you?
3: No, but I was quite tired at that point. After driving <laughs> 10 hours also. Kelly was just passed out. Jamie S. wrote on TripAdvisor, The hotel is old and quaint. Rooms are extremely basic. The location is excellent for French Quarter activities and has a chic courtyard restaurant Cafe Emily across the street. I did not believe in hauntings until I stayed here. They have a history of friendly hauntings but I did not expect to experience anything. However two nights in a row we returned to our room to find my clothing moved. The first night some clothes that were thrown about were folded and in front of the door when we tried to open it. The second night My pajamas were laid out like a person on the bed with a small hobbit door high above the bathroom that was open. It was definitely closed before, and we could not reach it. Creepy, to say the least. We thought the hotel staff may have been involved to perpetuate the haunted rumor, but they denied it. Also, cleaning staff comes early and leaves early. In the evenings, there's only one hotel attendant who mounds the dusk, so it seems unlikely that he would leave his post to mess with my clothes. We had a
2: ghost tour booked and decided to get some dinner and hit a couple of shops before the tour. Our first goal, however, was to buy a large umbrella due to the rain that we had a feeling was going to be around for the entire evening. And we were correct.
3: It absolutely poured. But I love that umbrella.
2: Yeah, it poured (laughs) rain all night from the minute we got into New Orleans till we were leaving the next morning. But it was really cool because it gave us an opportunity to go out and find that really cool umbrella. It was huge. It covered us both perfectly. And it has an old map of New Orleans on it. With all the street names. Yeah. So it was very cool. After accomplishing that, we hit two shops we were dying to check out. Marie Laveau's House of Voodoo and Boutique du Vampire. Laveau's House of Voodoo was opened in 1988. This had been Marie Laveau II's house. The shop is full of wonderful things for learning and practicing spiritual and religious voodoo ceremonies. There are talismans, charms, tribal masks, statues, and t-shirts. They offer psychic and spiritual readings. And there are two altars inside, one dedicated to Marie I and the other to Marie II. And if you're going to leave some gifts at those altars, make sure that they're equal so as not to make either spirit jealous. It's believed that Marie II haunts this location. Visitors claim to feel her icy fingers on their shoulders. And readings are given in a back room, and her ghost has been seen at various times in there during those spiritual readings. And for people who want to know more about Marie Laveau, the first and the second, and Voodoo, we did an episode on that, I don't know, about three or four years ago.
3: At Boutique du Vampire, Diane picked up the owner's book, New Orleans Vampires, History and Legend. Marita Woywad Crandall opened the shop in 2003. The About Us on the website is wonderful as Marita explains her entrance into vampire life in 1764 in Germany. She moved on to Transylvania and then over to New York and finally settling in New Orleans where her husband was originally from. The truth is that Marita is from Germany and lived in California before transplanting to New Orleans where she and her husband have rescued over 650 dogs. The shop is crammed full of goodness from books to oddities to candles to clothing, to makeup, to custom fangs, to gargoyles, which is one that I brought home with us. You did, and he's very cute. He sits on our kitchen counter, and he (laughs) looks deep in thought. (laughs) I just want to squeeze his big fat cheeks.
2: You want to squeeze his cheeks? Which ones?
3: (laughs) Not his butt cheeks,
2: but they are cute. (laughs) Gargoyle butt
0: cheeks. Yes. We
3: also learned about the secret speakeasy from a friend and asked about it while we were checking out. You need to make an appointment due to COVID right now, but it is a great gathering place for weirdos and vampires. We then headed off to find dinner, which is more difficult with COVID. I got to hang out on Bourbon Street on a Saturday night, which was deserted compared to Diane's previous experience there.
2: Yeah, so I told Kelly that You don't want to spend hardly any time on Bourbon Street. It's packed wall-to-wall with people. It stinks. Everybody's just partying, and it's a lot of young people. And, oh my gosh, if there was ever a time to go to New Orleans, it is now, especially if you don't like crowds. Because typically a Saturday night on Bourbon Street, I don't even know that Kelly and I could have stepped foot on the street. It would have been so (laughs) packed with people, at least not in the middle of the French Quarter, maybe farther down the road. There were barely any people on this road. There were a few here and there. You could tell there were some young people partying. They definitely were trying to get us to come into
3: the clubs. Yeah, there were quite a few people there, but just not the packed epitome of what you had described and what I expected to see.
2: Exactly, not even close. So I said, wow, if there was a time to be on Bourbon Street, this is it. The thing that wasn't good about it, though, or that kind of stunk about it, is that generally there's a lot of live jazz coming out of those clubs. Sure. And that was not happening because you don't have a lot of live bands going right now.
3: So we finally happened upon the Napoleon House, which had a table available in the courtyard just shy of the pouring rain, which again, made it a magical evening. I had the grilled chicken and brie, and Diane had gumbo. I already ground
1: that one.
3: That's good very small
0: ounce. Oh. <laughs> that taste again. Yes, it's tasty. Coming right out. the of want to
3: Um, sure. Thank you. Perfect. Go chicken and breathe.
2: Right. You oh, look at you. It's like, we're right out. it oh. <laughs> <You're>
3: is. <missed. laughs> that going to be enough for you? Yeah, nice and it's nice that it's not a huge portion. Okay. You can have some of my
2: sandwich, too. It's a big old sandwich. So it's so. interesting to see how they do their gumbo, because like when I've done my gumbo, I haven't made it quite so soupy. Like, mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. maybe that's the way it's supposed to be. That. I don't know. I don't know enough
1: about
2: it. I had it once when we came the first time. We stayed oh. with my friend's Her cousins. and. Uh, they gave us a bowl of rice and then they said dress it up however you want and they had all different kinds of hot sauces and mm-hmm. stuff and then they poured this right over it but yeah. i don't remember if it was soupy or not
3: yeah oh my goodness <laughs> this? Good. you're gonna have to take the whole plate over because it's kind of drip for a bite Did you already eat some? I took a bite off it, yeah. (laughs) It's hard to get your mouth around it. Is it really hot? Mm -mm. Very good. Oh my god, that's good. Wow. What did you get Chicken and brie? Chicken, chicken, grilled chicken breast with brie. There's apple slices on it too. Wow, that's really good.
2: The Napoleon House has stood at 500 Chart Street for 200 years. New Orleans has passed through the hands of several countries in its history. By the time 1803 rolled around, New Orleans had gone from french control to Spanish and then back to French. Emperor Napoleon Bonaparte was the ruler of France, and he told Spain that he would not give the territory of Louisiana to anybody else, but he lied. He worked out the Louisiana Purchase with the United States of America. Napoleon was popular in New Orleans, especially with Nicholas Girard, who was the mayor of New Orleans from 1812 to 1815. The mayor owned a mansion at the corner of Chartres and St. Louis Streets. His brother, Francois Claude Girard, bought the property on October 26, 1798 at an estate auction. Claude passed away on April 28, 1814 and left the property to Mayor Girard. The following year, the mayor was forced to resign over financial issues.
3: The mayor decided to renovate the entire second floor of the house and offer it to Napoleon in 1821 as a refuge during his exile. Unfortunately, Napoleon would never make it to America because the British captured him and sent him into exile at St. Helena. Mayor Girard would not give up easily, though. He put together a rescue mission and sent a ship to bring the emperor to America. The mayor would watch for the ship to return from an octagon-shaped tower on top of his mansion. The emperor died from arsenic poisoning in May of 1821, before the mission could be completed. Joseph Impostato rented the building for $20 a month starting in 1914, and he opened a grocery store on the first level and lived on the second floor with his brothers and sisters. Eventually, Uncle Joe, as everyone would call him, bought the property for $14,000. There was a side room connected to the grocery store, and Joe made that into a tavern that continued to run as a speakeasy during Prohibition. Joe was fond of opera and classical music, and he would play opera records for customers on his Victrola. And as you heard on our clip, that tradition continues today.
2: And I heard that during that prohibition time that there might've been a little bit of mob or mafia activity going on through this place too. So I don't know that necessarily Joe was in charge of all of that. We have that fun little extra bit of history there too. And that octagon shaped tower was still on top of it. Remember seeing that up there? Yes, it
3: was. Uncle
2: Joe grew weary of the business after the end of World War II, and he handed it over to his brother, Peter Pastado in 1945. Peter's son, Sal, inherited the business when Peter died in 1971. Sal was only 24 at the time. It's a big deal to have to take on at a very young age. Absolutely. Ralph Brennan took over the business in May of 2015. He is a third-generation scion of the family known for their New Orleans restaurants. He actually stopped by our table shortly after we were seated. I don't know if you remember him coming up and making sure everything was okay. I do. He was very pleasant. As we left, we snapped pictures of the iconic bar that has writing all over the walls and the beautiful tile entryway with the Napoleon House inlaid. The flooring in the bar is a melon and cream colored Carrera marble floor. The building was placed on the National Register of Historic Places in 1970. Napoleon House is said to have the best mufaladas in town. This is an Italian sandwich made with Italian bread and filled with olive salad, cheese, and a variety of meats like ham, salami, mortadella, and capicola. The restaurant and bar is also known for its Pimm's Cup. This is ginger ale mixed with fruit, cucumbers, mint, and a strong shot of gin. This was invented in 1823 by James Pimm, who served it at his oyster bar in London. So somehow it made its way over to the Italian Napoleon House.
3: Next time we're there, we'll definitely have to go try one of their mufaladas.
2: Yeah, they had several of them on the menu there. And I just did not realize that this is, if you're going to get one, this is the place to do it. Because I've always just gotten it at a
3: deli there. Sure. Well, I can't say that I regret getting the chicken with brie and green apples. Oh, good. It was just luscious. There are ghost stories connected to this property. The craziest one claims that Napoleon himself wanders the building. These stories started in the early 1900s. The second floor had a reception hall at that time, and there was a party taking place one evening. Several guests noticed a little man who was strangely dressed like Napoleon. They assumed he was a hired actor for the party and watched him walk around and then enter a coat closet. They waited for him to exit, but he never did. After 20 minutes, one of the guests went up to the manager to express concern that the actor may be in some trouble in the closet, or getting into trouble in the closet and stealing their stuff. Could be.
2: (laughs) Little pickpocketing.
3: Lining his pockets, as it were. The manager looked at them confused and remarked that no actor had been hired, particularly no one dressed like Napoleon. One of the guests worked for the newspaper and he wrote a brief article about the strange occurrence. Before long, the paper was flooded with letters from people claiming to have seen the same man who would disappear into the closet. All of these on different days. And no one had mentioned it before because they assumed he was a flesh and blood actor dressed in a costume. Had Napoleon come in spirit over to the city that had wanted him to come and stay so badly? Other spirits at this location are
2: not nice to those who doubt the existence of ghosts. Remember those stairs that were there in the courtyard? I do. They were beautiful. Yeah, on your way to the restroom. Well, apparently a woman was walking down the stairs one time and remarked that she didn't believe in ghosts. So this location certainly could not be haunted. No sooner had the words crossed her lips than she felt a hard smack on the back of her head and a heavy push on her back that almost sent her falling down the stairs. Guess you shouldn't say Yikes. doubt. <laughs> <The ghost. laughs> yeah. A woman who had once lived in an upper apartment claimed to experience ghosts often. She said, you get a creepy vibe from it. When you're there by yourself, you feel like someone is there with you, but no one is with you. Lights would flicker. She would get touched while she slept, which woke her up, and sometimes be pushed by something she couldn't see. Other
3: tenants claimed to have the same experiences. An executive chef at the restaurant told Nola Weekend, that they have three ghosts in the building, and that a paranormal group has detected them. These spirits include an old sailor who drinks in the downstairs bar late at night, an old woman who likes to sweep the floor, and a young woman who was murdered or died a bad death in the courtyard. The attic was a barracks at one time where sailors lived, so there is a possibility that a sailor might have lost his life here.
2: This was another place where we left the recorder on to see if we'd catch anything, but obviously with the ambiance, you heard the music, there's people talking, a lot of contamination. I don't know that we would have picked up anything. We didn't experience anything odd or weird, and we both went to the female restroom, which doesn't seem to be haunted in this location. But this was a happy little accident because since it was COVID, it was hard to get into a place because they can only seat so many people at a time. And we were on a time crunch. We didn't have a whole lot of time to eat. So when we were going up to places like we wanted to go to the gumbo shop, they were like, it's going to be about an hour. So we're like, that's not going to work. So we were bebopping all around trying to find something. And we finally popped into this Napoleon house. And I just walked in and went, Oh wow. Oh my Because you first walk <laughs> in and there's this old bar and it was just so cool. I was like, wow, this is cool. And then the guy came over and we're like, do you have seating for two?" And he goes, if you don't mind sitting out on the courtyard. And I love the courtyard. Yeah, it was perfectly fine. We were right out of the rain, but you could still hear it pitter pattering and just be able to look out there and enjoy all the sculpture and plants and everything that they had out there. So it was just a wonderful place. Highly recommended. And as you heard, the food was excellent. So we dined al fresco. And I got a local craft brew. I can't remember what it was, but it was one I gave like a three out of five. I it was kind of average to me. It wasn't anything that I'd write home about. But you enjoyed your
3: wine. I did. And I think yours had a really cool label, didn't it? With a ship steering wheel.
2: It did. I, I'm sure I took a picture of it. I might have put it up on Instagram. I'll have to look. So we were all done eating and then we were off to meet our tour. This was going to be with my favorite tour company in New Orleans. Anytime somebody comes into the Spooktacular crew and asks, who should I go on a tour with in New Orleans? I always recommend Haunted History Tours. They're accurate. They're not cheesy. They're just excellent. I haven't had a single tour guide that wasn't amazing, that didn't know their history, that wasn't a local and just fabulous. So I really enjoy them. When I'd been here before, I'd done the Haunted History Tour that was the vampire one. This time we decided to do the traditional ghost tour. So this is actually the first time I had done a traditional ghost tour in New Orleans.
3: It was very enjoyable. The tour guide did an excellent job. We checked in and then we had to pop in to catch a classic cocktail to take along. <laughs> we sure did.
1: Yes.
2: Tell me the name again. Student, just like a student at school.
3: Oh, okay, I see it. Alright, so two people. Put these on somewhere visible, they're your tickets. Okay. And then uh, the tour is going to be leaving from that green round sign down there that says the earth. Okay. going to leave
1: right at eight. You can get two for one hurricanes right next door here at Finnegan's. The same sticker. And then just wear your mask for the tour.
2: Great, thank you very much. If you want to. I've never had a hurricane before, but if you're supposed to get those here too. the herb okay. what's in it besides a bunch of alcohol something coconut
3: Oh oh probably the Malibu rum yeah
2: but it's a signature drink of New Orleans so okay. when you come to New Orleans you got to get a hurricane The original hurricane cocktail was first mixed at Pat O'Brien's bar in New Orleans during the 1940s. There was so much rum in the city they needed an easy way to get rid of it. While this cocktail has been remade over the years, the original was uncomplicated and had three ingredients. A blend of rum, passion fruit syrup, and lemon juice. The recipes of today are more complicated with many more ingredients. A typical recipe goes like this. Half a lime juiced, two ounces of light rum, two ounces of dark rum, two ounces of passion fruit juice or puree, one ounce of fresh squeezed orange juice, a half an ounce of simple syrup, a half ounce of grenadine, and garnish it with an orange slice and maraschino cherry. And Kelly, this little girl over here, and let me emphasize the little, for those of you who have met me in person, I'm not a very big person, (laughs) nor do I drink heavy alcohol. Nor do you date alcohol. (laughs) (laughs) Have I been drinking a hurricane while we're recording? So I usually stick to beer, occasionally have some wine. This really, wow, (laughs) it hit me. Well, I think your reaction was, ooh, I like this or
3: something (laughs) along those lines.
2: (laughs) And then after the tour, we got uh, another one to walk back to the room with. (laughs) Because you got to have one for the road. (laughs) So needless to say, that's why I don't really remember much about the investigation we did later.
3: Oh my.
2: (laughs) (laughs) But we had a great time for sure.
3: Cedric was our tour guide and he was amazing. He had the coolest looking homemade face mask and was dressed in an amazingly creepy costume that we shared on Instagram when we were in New Orleans a few weeks ago.
0: My name is Cedric, I'm going to be your tour guide this
1: evening into the underworld. I've been here in the city of New Orleans for just over a decade. I'm the lead investigator and founding member of New Orleans Paranormal Explorers. Put the first letters of that together, it spells NOPE with the official NOPE team, and we do (laughs) paranormal investigations all across the country. So tonight I'm going to grab your smiling faces, some of you kicking and screaming, and I'm going to drag you into my world for a couple of hours. Then I'm going to release you to go back to your hotel room to sleep all warm and cozy in your beds. And pretend there things that don't bump in the night right outside the door. Please try and refrain from leaning on the building, sitting on the stoops, anything like that. The areas we're going to take you guys into are residential parts of the quarter. Put yourself in their position. Some stranger comes in from out of town putting their feet up on your house. You might have a slight issue with it. I don't want you guys being on the business end of some upset New Orleans. It is not pretty. All right? Other than that, there are no jump scares on this tour. If anybody jumps out of the shadows and grabs you and yells boo, that is called a mugging. All right? <laughs> One of the questions we get asked religiously in this city. Why is the city so haunted? Keep in mind, in 2018, we celebrated our 300 year as a city. City built by Pirates and for Pirates. Not a whole lot's changed. Big difference is now, instead of wearing cool clothes and hanging out on ships, they now just wear suits and hang out in City Hall. Only difference. <laughs> we are a major speed bump from those hurricanes that come into the Gulf of Mexico. And we have burned our beautiful city now not once, but twice. First time we burned it down was in 1788. We burned 78.6% of the city. Damn. Roughly about 896 buildings of the 1100 buildings that were here. Now, to this day, historians will argue and fight back and forth over how many victims they believe fell to those fires for a couple of reasons. One, at the time we had a very transient population. Record keeping, not the highest priority. (laughs) Secondly, that fire started just after midnight about a house of block, just down the street right here. Started in a house owned by, by the name map. Nunez. Being a good Catholic was getting ready right to celebrate Good Friday, lit the candles on his altar, he wanted to open up his windows to enjoy some of that breeze blowing in. Unfortunately, there were gale force winds blowing off the Mississippi that night. The curtains get blown across and all of a sudden the curtains go up. When Mr. Nunez figured out that he was not going, please come sir, I don't want you to walk out the right right. Thank you. you. When Mr. Nunez realized he was not going to be able to put the fire out, he did exactly what he was supposed to do. He made a beeline a half a block down here to hit the church that used to sit where the cathedral today sits. So he could inform the monks that there was an emergency in the city and that they would ring the bells, letting everybody else know. That's One's the one they told us about last that. night. He got down here after midnight. It was already Good Friday. The monks had already taken the vow of silence and refused to ring the bell. On top of that, the strikers on the bells had been pre-wrapped earlier that day in burlap sacks to keep them from inadvertently in the wind striking and making any noise. So that fire blew through the quarter while most New Nor- 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 Orleans were asleep in their beds. Now keep in mind, y'all, that fire burned at over a thousand degrees for at least three days. Oh my god. So by the time they were finally able to fight their way back in here, any of those victims, we've been cremated. So all they did was take the human remains, mix it in with the building remains, flattened it out, built a brand new quarter right on top of it. So basically what you guys have been walking around in all day, hell, what you're standing in right now, one of the country's largest unconsecrated, unnamed graveyards. Now, six years later we end up burning down the two hundred and twelve buildings here in the city. Because so we like to be thorough in New Orleans, you know, get the ones we missed the first time. We have a slight vampire issue here in the city, which we've had since seventeen twenty nine, thanks to your slang nuns. And let's face a joke. We built a colony that became a city in a location that when B and, Bill and his scouts came over in 1699, scoping our location for this proposed colony, the friendly Native American tribes that had been here for centuries told them, don't build here with bad medicine, bad magic. She even has a name. Her name is Bulbanship. But being normal humans, they didn't listen. And so for 300 years, we've had an exceptionally long, violent, bloody body count history to back up those warnings now how many of y'all this is your first time to our beautiful city pray for help y'all all All right you guys new here welcome to the city with you guys coming back welcome home
2: kelly where he was doing all that introduction for us was right there in jackson square we have done an episode about the hauntings there what'd you think of it oh it was just beautiful someday when we're there during the day you'll get to see that area that's outside of the park there, the square, is where they have just a ton of artists that set themselves up. And it's just very vibrant there. They have all kinds of carriage rides. And of course, you could see the St. Louis Cathedral that's right there. That's just amazing that he mentioned. I'm so excited to get back there. And he referenced their vampire problem and he blamed the Ursuline nuns for that. Of course, that goes to the story of the casket girls, which I'm sure many of our listeners have heard. And I remember that one of the creepiest buildings that I ever have seen in that city is the Ursuline Nuns Convent.
3: And you thought you saw the shutter or the window drapery or something open, right?
2: Yeah, the windows are never open. But when I was on the vampire tour that night and they were telling us about the casket girls and everything, we were all looking up there going, well, that one shutter on the end is open. (laughs) (laughs) So I don't know what's what's going on on that upper floor in the nunnery there. But the Catholic Church usually takes some of their
3: more risky artifacts and stores them there. So we had a glorious time in New Orleans and can't wait to return for a longer visit. Are the Andrew Jackson Hotel and Napoleon House haunted? That That
2: is is for you you to to decide. decide. One day it'd be really fun to be able to have a bunch of listeners join us there, too. Heck yeah. Road trip, field trip, party hang out, whatever.
3: <laughs> Maybe just one hurricane.
2: <laughs> Next time. We do have a meetup that we do have planned for here more locally. I know a lot of you have been wanting to visit St. Augustine or return for a visit to St. Augustine, and we're going to give you a reason in September. Yes, we are. On September 18th, we're going to be doing a live show with our favorite buddies over at Hillbilly Horror Stories, Jerry and Tracy Polly. So hopefully you guys can join us, join us for the whole weekend. We're going to plan a lot of activities, tours, and stay at the hotel that we're staying at. And we'll just have a whole weekend hanging out with each other. It's going to be so much fun. I can't wait. Yes, I'm really looking forward to that. So mark your calendars for September 18th and we'll get more details out to you later. Want to have you guys check out our website at historyghostbump.com. And if you want to send us some feedback, you can do that at historyghostbump at gmail.com. We did get a comment from Sandra over on YouTube underneath our video on the St. Augustine Lighthouse. She said, I lived in Florida outside of St. Augustine. Many years ago, I visited the lighthouse. As my daughter, her friend, and I were climbing the stairs, my legs were getting incredibly heavy and my chest tightened. The girls had run on ahead of me. I went back down and the symptoms stopped. I really wanted to go to the top, though. Again, as I started climbing, it happened once more. Also, when we were in the cellars, I felt a sense of curiosity as if I was being checked out. We were at the end of the line on the tour. Needless to say, I've not been back. For those of you who'd like to visit, it's a beautiful and historical wonder worth the trip. And I know that we're going to be doing that when we are in St. Augustine. I think on Friday night, we're going to do the ghost tour that they have there.
3: Absolutely. We can't visit without doing that.
2: (laughs) I know. And what she mentioned is the cellars is probably the basement of the keeper's house. I would imagine. And of course, I've never been to this location without having some kind of an experience. And then we got a message from Nora over on the History Ghostbump page on Facebook. She said, good afternoon. I just wanted to drop you a line and tell you all that I love your podcast. I'm only on episode 96. I've had a few encounters with family members that have passed. I always have had a connection with the other side. It started when I was pretty young. But the one that I wanted to share with you all is the one about my mom. So this was back in 2014. It all started in a dream. I can remember standing in a field. I was with my mom's friend. The weather started to turn really bad like a hurricane or tornado was coming, and I looked at my mom's best friend and I told her we need to get to mom. We both started to run to my mom. The next thing I know, we're at my grandmother's, which was my father's mother's house. My mom was sitting in a rocking chair looking at a photo album. I was kneeling beside her looking at the pictures. She turns the page to a picture of a big pickup truck. She looked at me and pointed at the picture and said, that's your daddy's pickup. We used to go riding on the beach during the summertime and your brother loved going because the top came off. Then she looked at me and said, I'm tired. I'm really tired. I want to go. I'm tired. That's when I woke up crying and shaking. Well, a few days later, I get a call from a family member telling me to get to the house now. Well, I had a two hour drive to get to my mom's house and I made it in an hour. That's some fast driving. I get to my mom's. I walk in the front door and she's sitting in the chair beside the door. I tap her on the shoulder and say, hey, woman, what's up? Her face lit up. She was so happy to see me. So a couple of hours pass. We were sitting in the living room talking and she brings up the pickup truck. She said, do you know your daddy had a big pickup truck that we used to go riding on the beach with? Your brother loved that truck. Needless to say, that freaked me out. It would me too. Because, you know, you have a dream and you're like, that was just a dream. But then it's basically a premonition. A week later, she passed away. That will be seven years in March. I would joke with her telling her she can come and visit, just don't touch me. (laughs) (laughs) She laughed about it and said, okay, I won't touch you. But she does. Sometimes she gets in my face just as I fall asleep and yells my name, which freaks me out. But I've kind of gotten used to it. So that's one of my encounters with the other side. Love the show and looking forward to all the upcoming episodes that I'm about to listen to. Thanks for letting me share my story.
3: Very cool. I mean, it's a little disconcerting to have somebody yell your name in your face. (laughs) I know. But I guess if that's the only way she can really get her attention, I mean, perhaps.
2: (laughs) Even though it's your mom, it still would be kind of unsettling. She also said that uh, she used to be a cast member. She was friends with Timon and Rafiki at the Magic Kingdom. Oh, nice. Which means she's one of those people that goes around with them and helps people get pictures and such want to thank you guys for joining us for this episode. I've been your host, Diane. And this has been Kelly. You take care now. Bye-bye. This episode has been brought to you by our executive producers. And if you would like to join our executive producers in the cemetery, head on over to our website, historyghostbump.com. Click on the support the show tab, and it'll tell you how you can support us on Patreon or PayPal. We'd love to have you. There's stickers, logo gear, and all kinds of great stuff coming your way if you do that, along with bonus episodes. Join me in the cemetery by becoming an executive producer. You can join
0: on Patreon or PayPal. Check out the support the show tab on the website for more information.
2: You have dog hair on your
3: chips. <laughs> yes, there was dog hair on my chips. I got Why do you have them where on my the... peanut butter? <laughs> Ooh. Why do you have them where the dogs can get hair on them? It was on the table. You're so supposed to put my them in voice your mouth. My gets rattly. I know. I save some so I have them ah. throughout the recording, so my voice sounds better. They're emergency <laughs> chips.
2: Yes, they are. Now they're hairy
3: emergency chips. Ew! I don't need that much extra fiber.
2: I think a lot of people would find your farting from your mouth very entertaining. Okay, your fart noises. I don't mean that you actually <laughs> fart that from that your a mouth. Burp is?
3: <laughs> <laughs> that was a wet one. Ew. <laughs> That's called a shart. And this decision, word had not made it. To word had not. It was added It was added it
2: a did it, I did it, I did. <laughs> Perry diddles. Gotta make sure I get a lot of D some... dee
3: in there. <laughs> Cedric was our tour guide and he was amazing.
2: For you tourism. went, he was
3: our tour guide.
2: I did not. Just like you did tourism. Yes. <laughs> That's how
3: I say it. I can't.
2: Tourism. Help it. Now you're doing Stop tour it. guide. He was punk. our tour guide.
3: <laughs> you're a punk. <laughs>